0: Jesus came down from the mountain. He had just finished his first and longest oration, uh, that Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapter 5 through 7, that great sermon that began with those uh, Beatitudes. Remember, hashtag blessed, blessed are you, blessed are they. Jesus has just taught and painted a picture of the kingdom of, of God, a kingdom that is filled with a particular people, a, a people who are filled with integrity, who are filled with honor, whose righteousness exceeds even that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus has finished his high and lofty speech, and he descends down the mountain. The king coming down from the mount into the muck and the mire of ordinary life. And who should he see but a leper? A someone who looks sick is, is covered with a, a skin disease that had left this person ostracized outside of the community. And the leper comes before Jesus and kneels before the king. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then as if to draw us in to the text, as if to to get you to lean forward onto the edge of your seat, Matthew zooms in to that hand of Jesus, stretching slowly outwards towards the man towards a moment of unexpected cleansing. End scene. <laughs> Why all the drama this morning? Is it just because I like to be animated and dramatic and act and I'm, I'm looking to get involved in the local community theater? Yes, that's partly true. Uh, so if you have any ins uh, to the local theater, talk to me. I'm, I'm legitimately interested in that. But it's more than that. It's more than that because Matthew himself, the gospel writer, he is dramatizing this moment. He is bringing the reader in to be appalled, surprised, filled with wonder. For us, 21st century Westerners, we might miss it, right? We might not catch it as we read our Bibles or our ears might not singe with what's going on in the text. But for a first-century Jew reading this story, or for that leper himself reaching out to Jesus, this moment is filled with drama. We have to remember when we read the Bible, it's like we're hopping onto a plane, right? And, And we're taking a flight across miles and countries into distant lands, right? Distant cultures even turning back the time, right? Like, maybe it's like hopping in the DeLorean, actually. It's not the plane, it's the DeLorean, and we fly off. I want to help you understand the context why this is so dramatic today, this story of Jesus cleansing. But to do that, we have to get into the mind of a first-century Jew. And so I'm going to take us back into their world, the world of, well, it's, it's the world of this book that is probably the least read, the most obscure uh, the reason why our, our hopes to read Genesis through to Revelation get thwarted, you know, by like February, uh, it's the book of Leviticus. Book of Leviticus. Because Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, talks all about our good word today, it talks all about cleansing. Chapter 14 has a whole section, half a chapter dedicated just to cleansing lepers. What's, what's all this about? Why is this important? Well, if we go back to Leviticus, we have to set ourselves in their shoes too, right? So this book in our Bibles was originally a word that Moses spoke to the people of Israel. Leviticus kind of gives a, a sense of the liturgy of the life of Israel, how their worship life was going to look, but also how they would look as a distinct community, as a holy community. God in Leviticus is setting his people apart from the people they came from, right? Leviticus follows the book of Exodus, and Exodus was that story where Moses had come and led the people out of slavery under Pharaoh, right? And that was a, kind of a land and a culture of death. If you remember, Pharaoh, he killed all the baby boys, right? The Hebrew baby boys worried about an uprising, but God called them out rescued the Israelites from that land to make them a people of life and to give them a culture of life. And that's what Leviticus is all about. How do we foster this community, this culture of life? And that happened in part through cleansing. So there's all these laws in Leviticus, and it's confusing to read because most of them don't apply today. But what it's trying to do is make this community a distinctly uh, life-filled community. And so you get a list in Leviticus 13 and 14, it's echoed again in Numbers 5, of three things that aren't allowed, three things that make you unclean in the camp of Israel. Leprosy, because it's a flesh-eating disease. It looks like death, right? Uh, Being around dead bodies, so going to a funeral would make you unclean, right, because it's death. You had to be cleansed of that. And then even, uh, uh, this gets a little graphic, but uh, (laughs) certain life fluids, if they were expelled at times, would make you unclean and you had to be washed, you had to be cleansed to come back into the camp. Now, are these three things moral failures? Are they sins? Are these ways that the people of Israel were, were being bad? No. It just made them unclean and they had to get cleansed to come back into the community. And that was because this was going to be a community of life. And the premier place where this life was seen is not in the wider community, but even closer in, in, in this space, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place of God's holiness. The people are in the wilderness, so they've erected kind of a traveling worship center called the tabernacle, and in it God dwells. In it people hear his words of life. In it, people receive the forgiveness of sins. In it, God actually dwells. And so if you're unclean, you can't come into the worship community, you can't come into that sacred, holy space of God. And this is what it means to be holy. When we talk about holiness, I think sometimes when we hear the word holy, we think, I don't know, someone who's really righteous, maybe even self-righteous. You know, that kind of idea of holier than thou. And you know, someone who's living a really good life and says the right things, maybe they're very pious. And that's what it means to be holy. Not fundamentally, that might be a part of it. But at its base, holiness is to be set apart for a purpose. That's what the tabernacle was, where God dwelled. And it was a place set apart to make those who were unclean, clean. And to make those who were distorted, straight. A good comparison uh, might be a hospital, right? So uh, just for a minute, humor me here. Raise your hand if you've ever been inside of a hospital. Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of us. Now keep your hands up, keep your hands up, if you've been in a hospital. All right, now, uh, if you have stayed or been in an operating room in a hospital, leave your hand up. If not, put your hand down. If you've been in an operating room. Right, less hands. Keep your hand up if you've been in the ICU. Ah, some of us. Okay, you can put your hands down. That ICU is a holy place. It's a holy place. It's a place that's set apart for a specific purpose. Right? They don't just let anyone come trouncing into the ICU, it's there for a purpose. You have to have a need that needs to be filled. Or if you're one of the doctors, even then, you can't just come waltzing in, right? As a doctor, you're set apart. You're set apart by years of academic training you've gone through. You're set apart by your badge and your wardrobe, right? Even when you come in, you cleanse yourself. If you, if you happen to be sick that day, if you're sneezing, you're not going to go into that ICU. You're going to have another doctor come in because this place holy, it's set apart. This is what the tabernacle, the place of God's dwelling is for the people of Israel, a holy place for a purpose. And just like that ICU, just like that operating room, you don't go in with filth. And so the community of Israel knew they also were not to bring their death, however that looked, leprosy, uh, dead bodies, they're not to bring that in to God's holy space. And you flash forward to this leper. And he's he's kind of breaking the rules. He he wants Jesus, the king, to come and touch him. He wants Jesus to infect him. Right, The fear of of bringing your sickness into the ICU is that you're going to infect the place. And that was the fear held by Israel. If they bring their dirtiness into the presence of God, they'll infect God, they'll defile God. But this man says, no, Jesus, I need you to infect me. I need you to infect me. And maybe this man, maybe he heard that this would be part of this this Messiah, this Christ. Maybe he heard Isaiah's vision. Because along came this prophet Isaiah who had a vision of a different way of holiness, right? You heard Isaiah in the dream. We read it from chapter 6 of his text. He kind of wakes up in this dream and he's in that holy place of God. Right? And he hears the angels chanting it out, holy, holy, holy. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me! I shouldn't be here. Not because I have leprosy. Not because I just came from a funeral. No, Isaiah takes that metaphor of of death and he applies it to the heart. He says, Lord, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Yeah, there's there's sickness and death on the outside, but I see it on the inside of me, and I shouldn't be here. And then in this vision, this seraphim, that's like a snake with wings, it comes with a burning coal to the lips of Isaiah, all right? So imagine me at a barbecue, you're over at my house, we're having a barbecue, I take the tongs, I grab a charcoal out, it's steaming hot, and I run at you, (laughs) to your face. Is this good news for Isaiah? No. No, this is horrifying but that hot coal cauterizes the lips. He's not met with, with, with burning dread and terror, but in fact, he's healed. He's healed from the coal. Maybe this man had heard of this king to come. A king who was that same king Isaiah saw, sitting on the throne, holy, holy, holy. But a king may be unfraid to touch him. As a leper, he would have been cast outside the community, unable to be a apart. Would this king ostracize him too? He had probably heard the Pharisees and the scribes. He'd heard their condescending tones, the way they talked about people, the way they ostracized others. They were too holy to run around with those in the trenches. What of this king? Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. The man doesn't question God's ability. The man is wondering about his character. The man knew that God had the power to make him clean, but he wondered what his heart was towards him. Now today, us, here worshiping, we, we might wonder about God's power. You know, sometimes we do feel so removed from the Bible, these stories, that, that we wonder if, if God acts the same today as he did back then. Does God really have the power to heal? This man didn't wonder it, but sometimes we do. And if that's you today, then I want you to know of stories of healing And not just from the Bible. I'm talking about stories today. I know people who have encountered Jesus, who were enslaved to other powers in their life, that that pushed them around. They got into bad habits, addictions. They were caught up in that flood, in this life, and met Jesus and were released from that life. They were healed of that sickness. I know of Christians who have been in the church for a long time and, and, and know that they're forgiven but have struggled with a particular sin, a particular power in their life that keeps coming around again and again. And it torments them. They just can't seem to conquer it. And they turn to Jesus. And they begin to invite Him in to work His healing power in their life. And little by little, that that pathway in their brain that takes them down this dark road, it starts to get rewired. And they stop succumbing to this force. It loses its power. They become healed. God has power to heal. But maybe you know that. Maybe you trust that. Maybe you believe that up here. But you haven't let it sink down and become personal. Maybe it hasn't hit you like the man who came to Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can clean me. You can make me clean. Maybe you believe God has a power, but you wonder if your particular circumstance, if God would just be disgusted, if he would look away, or if he'd be willing to come in. Are you willing, Lord? Are you willing to clean me? Are you willing to get close to me after what I did? Are you willing to to be near me and associate with me after I, I drank myself stupid and embarrassed myself? Would you really want to be around me? Are you willing to touch me, Lord? Are you willing to touch me after the way that I handled my own child? Was telling them what I wanted them to do, and they just wouldn't listen to me. And and in that moment of weakness, I was just so enraged, and I flashed my rage at them, and they laughed and snickered and ran off. Are you willing to touch me, Lord, after I, I grabbed them with my hand when I closed and clenched my fist around their little arm? Are you willing, Lord? Are you willing to be with me and associate with me after after how I betrayed my friend? After how I backstabbed them, after years of running together, after I said those horrible things and tarnished their reputation? Really, Lord, me? Are you willing? Jesus answers emphatically. To the surprise and maybe chagrin of those Jews standing around this leopard man, and to us who see this leprosy of sin, Jesus answers emphatically, Yes, I will be clean. Be clean. The Greek word cauterize. It's not easy to come to Jesus and, and to lay these things before him like that. Coal from the altar that touched Isaiah's lips, it can hurt, it can burn, but it burns us clean, it cauterizes us. I will be clean. Jesus seeks to cleanse us, and we know we have this cleansing from Jesus by the waters of our baptism. By the waters of our baptism, Jesus has washed us clean. No matter what we have delved into, If you read 1 Corinthians 6, Paul will list off a whole bunch of things that you don't want to be associated with. What does he say? He says, that's how you once lived, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were cleansed. Paul says, remember your baptism, Corinthians. Remember that you have been rinsed and soaked free. This is why Luther in the catechism would say, to remember your baptism daily. This isn't just something that you know happened once up here. Luther says, come again and again and daily die to sin and be risen, be made new. Is that death going to be easy? No. And it's not easy to delve into those spots of our our hearts, those sick, uh, stricken spots. But you know what the other side looks like. You know it if you power washed your deck and seen that crud that was caked on so hard blast away, how good it looks. You know it finished, folks, right? If you've saunaed, I think I'm saying that right, Molly, after all these years, sauna. I used to call it a sauna. When you're sitting in the sauna, it's hot. It burns. It's not easy. Sometimes you throw too much water on and you're like, you can't breathe in that thing. But you come out and you just feel incredible, invigorated right this cleansing power of jesus cauterizes you and it might be hard it might be hard to wash in it especially if it's been a while that's how the sauna works but go to jesus and if you need help please come to myself pastor aaron us pastors you know we don't practice this a lot maybe we feel like it's too catholic or something but private confession in absolution is a gift to the church it's one of the gifts god has given the church Sometimes we need someone else to speak, put words to this disease too, so we can have it get out of us, be cleansed. And that, my friends, your baptism, this cleansing of Jesus is what makes you holy. Are you holy because you've mastered your sinfulness and, and now you're so pious? No. No, you're holy because you have been brought into that tabernacle, that holy place, right? Holy, holy, holy. Jesus is the tabernacle with feet. This is why it was so appalling for this Jew to reach out and touch him. God and and sin, we thought, could not mesh, but Jesus says, no, I am willing. Be clean. Come to me. Jesus makes you holy by setting you apart, not because you you have conquered all these things by your own power, but because he has claimed you as his own. And as you draw upon the power of his cross, he'll continue to cleanse you. If you remember your baptism daily, he will work his spirit in you. And we know it has power because Jesus himself, Jesus himself was cleansed. In Mark chapter 10, uh, two of the disciples asked Jesus if they can sit on his left and his right when he comes into his glory. And Jesus says, you guys don't know what you're asking. He says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? And he's talking about that cross. He's talking about a sauna kicked up higher than we have ever experienced and a cleansing on our behalf that we don't have to go through. And when Jesus died at six o'clock that night, even though the disciples didn't know it, the powers of sin had been overthrown. Freedom, a new Exodus. That power is yours and mine now. As we draw near to that cross, as we as we get touched by the coal from that altar, the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is that coal, touching our lips. Draw near to Him. Let Him come into your life. Let Him cleanse you. Remember your baptism daily. And if you have wounds and mars and gunk that's just been gunked up for too long, come and speak it. Be released, be free, be cleansed. In Jesus' name, amen.